Welcome to the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Smelser. The Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast is the shared journey of building a real estate investment property business from square one. Join me as we learn together how to conquer the real estate game to reach financial freedom. Together, we will learn from people in all areas of real estate and business in our personal trek towards escaping the rat race. Be you. Do the work you love. Play the long game. What's up, folks? We're back for another episode of The Daily Real Estate Investor. Man, we're knocking it out of the park today. I've got Chris with The Stealthy Rich, and Chris is going to share his story on how he built a portfolio of 56 rental properties using zero, none of his own money. This guy has absolutely crushed it using the Burr strategy. The portfolio is bringing in a little over $90,000 in passive income. And you say passive. Well, I mean, they're managing this portfolio themselves, but they're going to teach you and share with you the tips and tricks on how they've set up their management process on these properties and how they've been able to make this kind of progress, build out an over $8 million portfolio in only seven years. And these guys both have W-2 day jobs as well. Haven't quit their job and built an over $8 million portfolio in only seven years using none of their own money crazy story. Awesome story. And um, yeah, without further ado, let's dive into this one. Before we get started, I wanted to ask that you check out my book, Dream It and Build It, How to Crush Your Real Estate Investing Goals. The book was written to document my process of building my investment portfolio from square one. And I think this could really benefit you as well. The book has gotten five-star reviews so far, which I'm really proud of. You can find the book on Amazon in either physical or Kindle format, as well as any other book retailer. Check it out. Ladies and gents, I'm excited. I've got Chris with the Stealthy Rich with us today. The Stealthy Rich got really cool stuff going on on Instagram, making tons of progress with real estate investing. I'm sure many of you are familiar with them, but um, Chris is going to share some background on what they do, kind of how they made it to where they are today. And I know you're really going to enjoy this. Chris, welcome, man. Thank you, Josiah. So happy to be here. I really appreciate the invite. Yeah, it's it's our it's it's my pleasure, and uh, I've been looking forward to this myself. So, kind of give us a scoop. Where are you located? You know, what do you do? And then we'll we'll kind of get you to tell your story on how you got into real estate investing. Sure. So yeah, we uh, we run what we call the Stealthy Rich. We're two guys. Myself, Chris. My partner's name is Dave. Uh, we both have. Um, full-time job still, but we love real estate and we've gotten really good at single family housing in Houston. We're in Houston, Texas and kind of the suburbs of Houston. And we own, uh, we've done about 80 deals in the last seven years. Uh, and we own right now just over, I think 56 single family homes that we, uh, rent out and manage ourselves actually. That is a ton of houses. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's been, we started in 2013 and uh, still still going strong in, in 2020. I saw you I saw you post something the other day that I really loved and it said, man, if we had only kept all our houses, you know, and uh, and then you walk through why you sold and what you were doing. But I thought that was, yeah. I always think about that myself. You know, I had the very first property I ever bought was in Fort Worth, Texas. I, I moved down there after undergrad and when I when I got there, I was just like, I want to buy a house and rent to my friends. And so I found a, a little kind of middle of the road neighborhood near, not too far from downtown Fort Worth. And I got my house for, I think it was $105,000. It was a three bedroom, two bath. This is in 2004, 
three bed, two bath, you know, 14, 50 square feet, something like that. Got it for yeah. 105,000. Lived there for three or four years, fixed it up and sold it for, I think, maybe like 165 or 170. I made like thirty five, forty thousand dollars on it. Awesome. But I looked it up the other day and it's it's going for like three thirty or something. <laughs> and I was just like, why yeah. did I sell that? You know, yeah, so I know. Uh, man, it, it's a deep burn when you look at some of these that you had and you sold, even if you made money on them, because the long game is what makes you really wealthy in real estate. So, um, so yeah, but I, I love, I love what you're doing here. So how did you, how have you been able to take control of 50, over 50 houses? Right. So there's been a total evolution along the way. We started out buying just off the MLS, right? We were very, very scared and very uh, risk adverse at first. So we just tried to find good deals on the MLS back in 2013, rent ready houses. Uh, and we were, we were trending everything or trying to, 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 push everything against the 1% rule. And so we wanted, which is for your you know, rent to price ratio, we would divide what our monthly rent is on any given property divided by our all in cost or price or so price plus any rehab. Uh, and if we could beat 1%, so a hundred thousand dollars house with a $1,000 rent, if we could beat that, then we felt pretty good about that. So we were all aiming for 1.2 ones, 1.2s. Uh, and so that's still kind of our primary ratio that we use, but we're in the 1.345 now uh, range is what kind of we, we aim for. But so we would we would do our first couple deals. And on those, uh, there's a lot of details there, but we, we mainly did a very unique interest only product that one, that one of our uh, friends had access to. Uh, the problem with that one was though, it, it required 30% down. Uh, so that was a a big chunk of change, but but our cash flow was awesome, right? So on our first house, I think we paid ninety thousand dollars for it, rented for eleven fifty a month, and that. But the the mortgage payment was like ninety one dollars a month, and so <laughs> it felt really safe to us to to kind of start that. Uh, and we we did a couple that way, but quickly ran out of cash because yeah. it was thirty percent down, um, and we knew that wasn't going to be long term. And then we started saving 20% or 15% for these houses. Uh, and again, we were finding deals, but we didn't have cash to, 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 to stabilize them. And so we would buy one and then flip it so that we'd have money, the profit from the flip, we would use for a down payment for the next one. Sure. And I think that's what you were alluding to with that post the other day. We went back and looked. It's It's been about, I think we did 20 houses that way over time. And it's something like $750,000 we've we've given up, but, yeah. but, but it was, we, we had to, to kind of evolve sure. right? that was part yeah. of our, our process. Uh, and then the short story is eventually we got to the point where we said we had to think there's a better way. And so we evolved from flipping houses to get down payments. We started to, we knew there had to be a better way. So we were using, uh, we adopted the Burr method, which is, you know, buy rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, but we do the R's in all kinds of different orders. <laughs> so uh, they're not always the same. And for us, once we, once we started that method, we were able to buy our houses at a discount uh, and then refi them within a few weeks uh, to get all of our money back out. And a perfect example of this, you know, we buy a house for $80,000. We put in 10. So we're now in it to $90,000. And our bank will appraise it and they'll say, well, this house is worth $130,000, which it really is. So once we had that 80% value directly from the bank, that, that covered all of our fees. I mean, all of our money, right? So we had got every dollar 
back out of that house that we had put in. And when I saw that process and I realized it was repeatable, I thought I need to have 50 more just like this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so that was kind of, that is how we grew very quickly after that kind of evolution where we were having to buy one to flip it, to buy another one. Uh, And so now as fast as we can find the deals and they make sense, we're able to stabilize the property and get it, get it on board. That's great. So this is the textbook Burr strategy. And, you know, we talk about this a lot, but this is what I used to build our portfolio as well. And there's a number of different ways you can go about doing this. The first question I have for you, how are you finding these discounted deals? Yes. So the vast majority, 80%, we, we use the tried and true yellow letter method where we mail direct mail, uh, letters to a very targeted audience uh, that we, I'm a, I'm a data guy. So uh, I build my own list um, and we, we uh, ship out letters to these people. They're no, non-owner occupied. That means they're people who don't live in the house, uh, most likely landlords or accidental landlords. And they call us on a Google voice line and Dave, my partner, is an excellent negotiator, and we can usually find people that have a pain point somewhere in their life. They want to get rid of this house. They don't want to fix it up. They don't want to deal with a realtor. They don't want to deal with getting rid of their tenant, or maybe it's empty and trashed. And we're willing to solve that pain point by just buying it as is at a significant discount, but as is, uh, and make it go away from nice. their from their lives. And so, so that is eighty percent of our deals come from that method. So so with with such a large chunk of your deals coming from the mailers give us some give us some insight on how long it took how long did you have to mail and how many pieces of mail are you sending out yes. to start getting these responses so we started out sending 3 or 400 a month and we'd get you know four or five calls and, and we would send a set of five letters over uh, you know probably we'd send a letter about every three weeks. So almost once a month to the same list, we'd send the same, uh, the same list, five different letters. And each letter gets a little more aggressive in, uh, you know, saying, Hey, why haven't you called me yet? I want to buy your house. Right. Uh, we've all gotten those letters. You can, you can, some people think they're annoying. I get them all the time personally. And I just throw them in the trash. Right. But, um, but these letters, as they get more aggressive, people start to worry or wonder about it. And so I would say about on the third letter, third to fourth letter is what we call the money, the money letter where people actually call and say, okay, what's this deal that you guys are talking about, right? We've, we've pestered them enough. They're willing to call. And so now we're sending about a thousand letters a month a, nice. you know, a, 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 to a thousand different owners, I should say. So how much does that cost? That's a good point. So I would say the stamp is 50 cents roughly. Uh, and then we use a service. We use Jerry Puckett out of Dallas. who's fantastic. And uh, I think he charges us somewhere in the 40 to 50 cent range per letter. So we're looking at about a dollar per piece of mail. And it's funny because <laughs> every time we send them, Dave and I are like, man, this is such a waste. There's, this is never <laughs> going to work. And then we'll buy two or three. Like we have two right now. In fact, I closed on one today from a yellow letter. You can go back at our Instagram and see the conversation. Um, and the guy was just like, I need to sell this house. Right. And we paid a hundred thousand dollars for that house. Uh, and nothing has sold in that zip code for under one sixty five in the last six months. That's awesome. So that's just, and it's not trashed. It's just a little, needs a little updating. Right. But he was just done. 
So, uh, so, so, so this is being recorded on May 21st. Tell, tell the listeners yeah. how they can find you on Instagram so they can go check that post out. Yeah. So, uh, it's at the stealthy rich and, um, we actually posted a picture of the conversation. So he texted us and Dave was like, I hear you have a house to sell. How, how can we help? And he wrote back very short. He's like, I don't text, call me. <laughs> and that was it. And Dave called him and, and they got to a price real quickly. And he, he closed actually probably 20 minutes ago. <laughs> he signed, we signed this morning That's awesome. and 20 minutes ago, he, uh, he actually signed and I'll go walk the house after this call and, cool. and we'll get it, get it rocking and rolling. So you're planning on keeping this one, right? Yes. Yeah, this is okay. in one of our prime zip codes. Uh, just a just a perfect rental. So, so how much gonna, equity after your rehab's finished and your refinance and all that? How much equity do you think like you built in here? Yeah. So this one we paid a hundred for. It will need floors and paint, maybe a few light fixtures, uh, and that's it. So we'll we'll just call it we'll just call it ten to be conservative. So we'll be all in at one ten and it's easily gonna be worth one seventy. Yeah. Right? So, and it will so with like holding cost and are yeah. you we'll your holding 10. costs? Are you using hard money? Or are you using your own cash? Or how are you? Buying we these? we self finance now. We, have, okay. we yeah. So we have a couple of different ways. We have we have cash, and then we also have uh, lines of credit sure. unsecured from banks that sure. uh, that are probably six seven percent interest rate. Yeah. That we'll just use. So we'll say. I mean, it. we'll call it. We'll call it. You're in at one ten. We'll call holding and closing costs another ten. That may be too much, but so I mean, you're in. What would you say is worth one seventy? Yeah. So you gained yeah. $50,000 of equity and you're you're spending $1,000 a month on mailers, gained $50,000 right. of equity on one deal. How many exactly. how many deals would you say you get? Like how long do you how long have you mailed and how many deals we would you mailed, say you get? We have mailed, I can tell you exactly. Mailing? So, you I mailed have a how spreadsheet long? right here. So we spent a total of uh Where's it at? We have a lot Oh, here we go. We've spent a total of probably, let's just call it $15,000 on letters nice. over the years. And how and many deals? Probably, we, eight, uh, we'll call it 50 deals, right? So let's an 50 average deals. Of, wow. So let's do an average of 30 grand per deal. So that's a lot of money. <laughs> so the rate, <laughs> that's the rate 1. of return 5, is That's 1.5 million. Uh, right. That's 1.5 million off of how much? 15,000? Yeah. So that's a hundred times your money. Right. That's, that's I mean, that's why we can't leave it. It's yeah, that's so incredible. Simple. So it's like so simple. And so like, I know a lot of people send text messages now and eventually we'll get to that. Uh, but um, that's incredible. So you know, like, just, you know, I, I read yeah. this book one time and I highly recommend you check this book out, by the way, you can get it on Amazon. It's like a dollar or something, but it's called hundred baggers. And it's about, it's about finding and identifying stocks that go up a hundred X, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. of course it's like impossible to, nearly impossible to do right now, but it's fun to go and look at these companies that have gone up a hundred X or more. And, you know, you look at that in real estate and you're getting a hundred X on your money there, which is incredible return. So it's no wonder you can't stop doing that. Yeah. So we'll just keep doing it until it stops working. And then, you know, we will have spent maybe, and, and it'll, it'll happen. Like we'll do a set of five letters and for whatever reason, maybe my list wasn't as good or it's just a rough time of year. And it'll be the last letter and we'll get a call and we'll, we'll pick up a deal. So we've, on every campaign of a set of five letters, we've bought at least one, one house. So yeah, that's, that's why we awesome. can't stop doing it. That's awesome. So, uh, you, you currently own how many houses again? Remind me. 56. 56. How many of those 56 came from the letters? 
I would so eighty percent. So at 80%, least okay. forty. Yeah. So, so for, 40 deals you've picked up. Do you wholesale any of these deals you find or you pretty much keep them all? So, uh, so we have, we haven't wholesaled any of them. Okay. Uh, we would, I take that back. We did probably wholesale two, uh, to, to friends or actually our own bankers who were actually wanting to get into real estate as well. So very, I mean, but it was one or two where we just wanted to make a quick seven, $8,000. Uh, but the other ones we actually then would, list on the MLS and flip them that way. Cause, uh, myself and Dave are both agents as well. Nice. And so th- that makes it helpful. Very cool. So, do yeah. you have to tell when, when you're finding an off market deal, do you have to disclose you're an agent? Yes. In the, in the purchase contract in Texas, at least there is a, a, uh, there's a, a clause that just says that the, you know, the agent in the deal it has a, a, a greater than I can't remember the stake, but a certain percentage of stake in the buying entity. Sure. Has any has any seller ever gotten freaked out over that? Not at all. Yeah. I've, you know, I've, when you send someone to e-sign something, they usually look at the price and then they just click yeah. through the rest, right? Yeah, and not, and I, not that that would that line shouldn't scare them, and we tell no, them like you know we're, but um, but yeah, it's, we do disclose it. Yeah, it's it's a requirement here in Alabama as well. And you know, when I'm buying deals, I always let them know that I'm an agent. It hasn't one time messed anything up. Yeah. So um, yep. some people think it will, but it doesn't. They don't. They don't really uh, care usually. Usually, as long as you know, realtors have such a bad rap, and it's like as long as you're not having to fix up the house, and I'm not doing any crazy inspections. And, you know, we talk straight with them. They are so happy to deal with us. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. let's talk about a couple of questions on what you're doing. So uh, what would you, would you say these are on average in like C-class neighborhoods, B-class? Like what's your strategy with location? So they're, they're all built within 1975 to about 1988, I would say. Uh, so the little older home, they're all from between 1,200 and 2,000 square feet. Uh, I'd say 80% of them are three bedroom, two bath. We have a couple two bedroom, two bath, and then a uh, several four bedroom, two nice. bath. Nice. So why did you choose? Why did you choose 1975 and newer? So it happened to be, and this this is kind of a deep concept. But when we started, we wanted to pick zip codes that were not too far from our houses, so that we didn't want to like it'd be a chore to go visit them. Right? Now, Houston's a very large place uh, geographically, and so. We found using just data from the MLS and data from, uh, you know, Zillow and other places, we found this kind of zone, I'll call it, where the rent, the average rent was so much higher than what your mortgage and, you know, your interest and insurance and taxes would be. The rent was so much more. It was almost like, I don't want to say an inefficient market, but there was not, it was not the same as the rest of the areas we looked at. It was kind of this, uh, weird area. And so we thought, hey, it's a mixture of these older homes and starting to turn into a rental neighborhood. They're all HOA neighborhoods. They're all kind of master planned areas that were really popular in the 80s as Houston was growing uh, out. And so we found so we found a place where the rent could could uh, substantiate our mortgages, you know, very, very, very well. And so that's so then we kind of just drew drew boxes around those areas and started mailing to those zip codes. And to, to this day, we still only mail to two zip codes. Uh, we have a lot of houses all over Houston just through friends and other weird uh, connections, but we try to primarily stick to those two primary zip codes. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Well, yeah. I've, I've had some experiences on stuff that's older 
than maybe say 1970. Sure. You start having plumbing issues, electrical issues, things like that, because stuff's just wearing out, you know? So I was curious. Yeah, we had some of that. Yeah, I was curious. I was curious if you were trying to avoid repair issues on older homes or if it was more of a, a certain, you know, area I that you like accidentally, to buy. Accidentally, I think accidentally we did that because we did buy some that are a little older and they have galvanized pipe and yeah. that is starting to fail or they have uh, aluminum wiring and not copper wiring and that's a pain. Uh, but luckily those are only, we have probably two or three houses like that. Yeah. Uh, and then again, uh, we have this old adage that we can fix anything in the house for like 5,000 or less, like <laughs> like a major system. Uh, and so we, were, we, hadn't, we hadn't replaced pipes yet in the house because that seemed scary to us. Uh, and then we replaced the whole house because the, the galvanizer was deteriorating from the inside out and there were leaks showing up everywhere. So we just did the whole house and it was like 2,300 bucks. I couldn't believe it, right? Yeah. <laughs> to, run, okay. to run pecs. And I was like, holy cow, this isn't scary anymore. Bring it on, right? Yeah, so, sure. Um, but yeah, but yeah, luckily we've just, we replaced mainly HVACs, roofs, uh, and flooring. Is, gotcha. Is mainly what our normal. Gotcha. So, is. so. You, we we talked about the year. Let's talk about are the the neighborhood. Are you said there are HOA master plan neighborhoods? These sound are these are these B? Would you call these B class, C class? I would call them B. B? I would call okay. them B. Maybe a, a, some are lower B. It's a B minus. Uh, you know they all have HOAs. Some of them have more cars in the streets than others. Yeah, sure. Uh, but you know most of them they're pretty militant about the yards being taken care of. That's good. Uh, and, and, you know, that's a love hate with us. We've been sued by several HOAs, but, but, oh, uh, but, but overall we like it. And the reason I'll tell you, I'll tell you why, because anyone who calls me once they tell from a let yellow letter, I know exactly on that address. I know exactly what that house is worth. If, and if it's in normal condition, you know, there's not any surprise to me because I know the neighborhood, I know the quality of house. It's like a cookie cutter. Sure. Right? So there's no like, Wow, this next door neighborhood, this next door neighbor's crazy, or the house is a bizarre shape. You know, they're all very similar, and so for us, it's very easy for us to judge uh, the quality of a property and kind of project what it's going to be worth uh, without having to do a lot of research. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, so what's the average? I know you said you know your rent ratio on these, is on average, like now you're getting you know one point one point three, one point four, one point four, something yeah. like that. So that that's showing yeah. that it's cash flowing well. Are these on? 30-year fixed, conventional, like how, how, are, you, uh, good. how are you financing? So I would, we do all commercial kind of portfolio loans with small regional banks and we could talk all about that, but we love that product. So easy to close. And this is, we just called probably, we have three banks we deal with. Probably we have one that's our favorite. Uh, they're all local to Houston. It took Dave probably 20 phone calls, 20 different banks to find a bank who would do what we wanted uh, in terms of, and, but they're 20 year loans. Uh, they amortization and then they have a five year arm. Mm -hmm. So after five years, the rate kind of resets to whatever prime is. So, ar it, so does, ARM, stands, no yeah, ARM stands, if you don't know, ARM stands for adjustable rate mortgage. So when you have an ARM, there's going to be a, a time period where you're, you've got this initial rate. And then when that time period's up, your rate's going to adjust. And a lot of times people will go back through a refinance process, lock in another rate or, you know, or sell it or whatever. So just FYI, if you haven't heard, if you're not familiar with what ARM means, uh, but anyway, right. continue. And, and the reason these banks do that is because no bank is going to 
take the risk of locking a rate in for 20 years because these are all done in-house. Unlike many other loan products that are guaranteed by the federal government, where they take the risk of a 30-year fixed rate, these little banks are taking on the risk and owning that loan internally. They call it a portfolio loan. And there's a couple of advantages to that. When we close a loan, it is literally one email to my banker and I give her the address and I tell her what the rent is going to be. And that is it. And then I show up to title like three weeks later, she sent a check and we're done. And I sign a few papers. And so the rates a little higher, I'd say our, our rates average uh, between 4.75 and five and a half. Uh, so it might be a little higher than what you could get on a 30-year uh, investor loan. But for us, the, the ease of closing, and if I ever wanted to pull money out of these loans, each house has its own individual loan, but I can call my banker and she can restructure those loans pretty much any way that makes sense for us. Very cool. And so that kind of uh, flexibility is worth it to, 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 to us. And they'll be done in 20 years, right? So our cash flow is a little less than what a 30-year loan would be, obviously. But uh, our ability to then pull that money out after a few years, you know, after after 10 years, we're halfway done. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So so for us, it's worked out really well. And there's no, like I said, there's no seasoning requirements with our bank. So like I said, we can refi three weeks after buying it. It's not even a refi. I guess it's just a fi. We're doing a finance three weeks after we bought the property with cash to take all of our money back out. And so that model has worked really well and, and we'll continue to do that. Every time we go to close a loan, even today, I, you know, we ask them, we say, you know, are we near the end of our rope? And they're like, no, just keep going. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So (laughs) have they told you a certain, a certain dollar amount that they'll lend you and then you're, you're capped out or they just say, just keep going. Not really. And so that's, that's scary to me, but, um, Eventually, I think our limit will be about how many we can manage ourselves. Yeah, sure. Uh, and you've yeah, already got a lot. Point, we don't so. want to do that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, there's a number of different levers you can pull, you know, on 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 this stuff to to pretty much dictate your cash flow, your principal pay down, those kind of things. So Chris is pulling the lever of the tw- he's putting stuff on twenty year, which is going to make the payment a little bit higher. But the upside to that is your stuff's paid off in 20 years instead of 30. So the principal pay down is more aggressive. The cash flow, the monthly cash flow profit is going to be a little bit less. Right. But you're buying these at a 1.3, 1.4% rent ratio, which still means they'll cash flow. Um, so what would you say your average cash flow on these is? And I know you also said your interest rates around 4.55%, a little bit higher interest right. rate. But the upside with that is you've got a bank that's very easy to work with that's allowing you to do these. So, you know, people always ask me, like, what kind of interest rate are you getting? What term are you putting these on? How much is your cash flow? All that. And I'm like, well, it kind of depends on what your strategy is, you know, like, and you just got to figure out what's going to work for you and your situation, you know? Right. And, And so, like, tell us, like, how much, how much, like, profit after operating expenses and debt service are you on average walking away with on these? Yeah, so I'd say average cash flow per house is about one hundred and fifty dollars per month. That's great, right? Which does right, but that but that doesn't include principal paydown. No, so last exactly. year I think we did one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. And so, and each year that goes up as you work through the through the curve, right? And yeah. so, we we're getting to this point now where if we can wait another one to two to three years, we'll be so far into that curve. That we can just, and this is a very, I hope I can explain this correctly, but we'll have enough houses because we've bought these staggered over the years. 
we'll have enough houses that have gone through the curve far enough of the amortization curve that we can then refi out a significant amount of money without changing the payment, right? Just pull sure. out the money we just paid down uh, and pull it out tax free and you know potentially live on it, right? So I mean, if we're up in the two hundred thousand dollar not talking cash flow, just two hundred thousand dollar principal pay down and Dave takes a hundred and I take a hundred, you know, we're pretty much done at that point. And so we struggle with that all the time. Do we do we pay all these off or do we just refi till you die kind of concept? And so sure. the only risk with the refi till you die is if rates go through the roof, right? But sure. um might be a while till we see that. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well so so here's something I was I was working on on my portfolio the other day. It was like mind boggling. And I would like to do this on yours as well. What's the average rents on your properties? $1,300. Okay. So we got $1,300 a month and you've got 56, right? Yep. So $1,300 times 56. Okay. And let's say, let's say you're running, how many vacancies do you have right now? We, well, because COVID, we have three. Okay. So let, let's, let's just for the sake of round numbers, say it's even more just because let's, let's give it a low ball. Yeah. Let's say 10%. Yeah. So uh, times 0.9. So this is this is crazy. This is why investing in real estate's awesome. You guys are bringing in $65,000 of rent, over $65,000 of rent a month. All right? So you multiply that Correct. times 12 and you've got $786,000 of rent a month. So you're almost you're bringing in over 3 quarters of a million dollars in rental income a year. Right. And you were able to take control of these properties you know, using this burst strategy and it's taken a lot of work and a lot of effort and stuff, but that, you know, that nearly $800,000 of rent you're getting a month is paying these properties off while they go up in value and you've got money left over. And it's well, like, and it's and like, it, if, it, that's why real estate works. It just works. Well, and you know? it's sheltered. I, I always tell people, I say, I bring in $800,000 and I show a negative $15,000 tax right. bill. Yeah, right? like, that's right. It blows my mind. The first year it happened to me, I had to call my CPA and say, you're going to send me to jail. There's no way this is legal, <laughs> right? And, and he's like, no, it is. And he taught me all about depreciation and all about, oh, that's great. Uh, you know, all kinds of CapEx things. And I was like, wow, okay, this, this is welcome to the club, right? And so definitely, definitely uh, there's a lot of advantages to real estate. Yeah. And that's, that's why I want everybody, I mean, that, that's why I'm doing this podcast is like, it's, it's, it's a way that you can change your family's financial future. And, you know, I mean, you started at zero, just like everybody else. Everyone is capable of doing this. It takes a lot of hard work. It's not easy. It takes constant attention, right? Um, but it's doable, you know, it's doable. So, I mean, what, what is your goal with this? Where are you, what are you trying to do? Yeah. So at some point, and we're, we're, we're kind of dabbling in it now is we, we manage these as well on our own, which is a whole nother side thing. Yeah. I want to talk that about that save. as well the eight to 9% a month in that. I mean, look, take, take 9% of 800, you know, 80 grand a year Yeah, that we would have to pay a property manager. And I know I don't do 80 grand worth of work. Yeah, sure. <laughs> to manage sure. These. And so, um, and so, so that will be our limit. So let's just say we get to, uh, I'll say 60 houses. I think our goal, my goal, and it's a very round number goal. If I could just generate a hundred thousand dollars a year, in passive income or, you know, not, not, uh, earned income, then I think I'd be done because I, I live pretty, I have four kids. Dave has three kids. Um, we live in nice areas, but we aren't very, uh, flashy. Right. Sure. So we, we, 
we value quality over quantity on many things. And for us, we value our time most of anything. And so if I could get roughly a hundred thousand dollars in, in, uh, you know, cash flow a year, then I think I'd kind of be done. Yeah. Now, ba- course- based on, based on the numbers we just talked about at 90% occupancy, you're at about 91,000 a year right now. So you're not far off, which is, which right. is awesome. But like, right. so, and I didn't even ask you this. Um, what, what's your average house worth? Uh, I would say one, let's say 145. Okay. So you've got 8.1 million in yep. properties and yep. how long do you plan to hold them? 20 years? I don't know. It sounds like forever, but forever? yeah, eventually we'll have to. You can hold them until they're paid off at least, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would like my property in Fort Worth. I, you know, I bought that 15, I bought that 2004 or so, you know, 15, 16 years ago, it's over tripled in value in 15 years. I think, I think your Houston properties will easily triple in value over the next 20 years. So you're going to have, if you stopped right now, you would have $24 million of paid for real estate in 20 years and it's, you know, completely paid for. So at that point you could do a refi tax-free, you don't have to sell it. You could do a refi tax-free pull out 80% of 24 million. So what pull out nearly 20 million, you guys could split it 10 million a piece. You could keep these properties and just start crazy numbers. Yeah. And just start (laughs) and just start paying it off again, you know, or you could, you could sell it as a portfolio to somebody and walk away from it, stick your money in an index fund and not have to deal with it. You know, there's so many different strategies you could go with, but I mean, when you talk about doing this strategy, starting at zero, doing this strategy and building up, 10 million bucks for you and your business partner over, you know, 20 years of work. Like, could you do that in the stock market? Right. I mean, no. I, and, and I tell people, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that I could do my best at the stock market and just squirrel away all this money. And I'm not ripping on the stock market. I just can't turn the sum of money I can make into 10 million bucks in the stock market personally without right. getting really then, lucky. You know what I'm saying? Right, there's a couple of reasons for that, right? It's the power of leverage, which I would never personally trade on margin in the stock market. Some people do, right? But most people don't, especially home. And, and so borrowing money to buy stocks just isn't done. But borrowing money to buy real estate is the standard way to go, right? And so uh, that feels safe to most people. And so the power of leverage mixed with appreciation, mixed with control, mixed with the tax benefits makes it the best game in town, in my opinion. Absolutely. I totally, yeah. totally, totally agree. Yeah. So let's talk about how you're managing these. You've got 56 houses. That's a lot of houses. Yeah. I mean, people yeah. who don't <laughs> own any houses, like we own 20 and it's a lot. Like we get constant messages about it. You guys got more than double what we have. So you're mm-hmm. getting more than double the messages, I'm assuming, and you're managing managing them all yourself. So let's talk about how you've set this up. Yeah. So we the key is to build efficient systems and uh, for us, we we can run the whole business from our smartphones. And so that was key. And so we're both agents, so we can list them on our MLS. In Houston, the MLS is very strong. And so uh, most things, if you don't list on the MLS, you have a hard time renting them or selling them. So we list all of our, our rentals on the MLS. We use professional pictures that we take one time at the beginning uh, of, of a rehab. And we use those throughout as long as it hasn't changed that much. And, uh, we, we, we aim for middle of the road rent. We don't go for too high and we don't, you know, we don't go for the slum of the neighborhood either. So, and we list it. And one thing that's really unique with ours, cause we try to reduce, we try to reduce the number of times 
we have to visit a property because that's just takes, you know, takes our time away from our normal jobs, our families, whatever. And so when we put a lockbox on a house to then send our contractors over to you to fix things or whatever, we'll leave that lockbox on obviously during the, the listing period. And we'll actually send people who don't have a, who don't have agents representing them. Once we kind of vet them and realize they're serious and they really want to live in the house, we'll actually just give them the code to go see the house. The house is empty uh, and they go show themselves the house. And people think we're crazy for doing that. But in seven years, we've never had a single issue with theft or vandalism or anything. Uh, and so that method has been key for us to have. Because when you have a, a vacant property and you have 10 showings, it's just nothing worse than having to go show that house 10 different times and half those people don't show up anyway. So, so that's how we show our houses. Uh, and then we'll, we use standard Texas applications. We use uh, mysmartmove.com to check their credit and to check their criminal history. And we, you know, we'll, we'll take a deposit and rent through Zelle or other electronic means. They can also deposit directly at our bank. Uh, and then they, they have a name and a number for us throughout the life of the lease for any maintenance issues. And the key here is that we don't, they don't know that Dave and I are the owners and that I cannot stress that enough. That is the key principle that is that Dave taught me that has been key so that you kind of have a level of separation between you and the tenant. And so when they call and they say, Hey man, you know, I'm going to be late on rent this month. Uh, you know, as, as the owner, can you please just be easy with me? I can be an advocate for them as their property manager, but still be strong arming them as saying the owner is not going to go for this. Right. Uh, and that has been a key principle for us to making sure that we don't get too, uh, cozy with our, our tenants yet. We can still show, um, some compassion and, and, uh, you know, kindness to them. Sure. So how do you, do you train, have you trained your tenants to only contact you during certain hours through email, through text? Like, how do you, yeah. how do you keep your tenants from texting you at 11 at night about stuff? So it is, it's a training, it's a training thing for sure. And luckily we have not had, I don't think anything like that. We've had a couple of emergencies on weekends with water leaks and whatnot, and that's been fine, but they usually just text and they say, Hey, this is what's happening. And then I'll send the picture of the problem or the problem to our contractors and they will then call the tenant and set up appointments. So it's very much a project management uh, role that Dave and I have from a, you know, just quarterbacking things and making sure that the, the assets are being managed. But the tenants, yeah, it does take some training and we also train them to pay, right? We say, well, you pay on the first. If you pay on the third, it's a $50 late fee and this owner does not like, you know, will not will not stand for lateness. And <laughs> if you are going to be late, please communicate ahead of time. So a week into the prior, the end of the month, so we can come up with a payment plan. And so that allows us to kind of be notified uh, and we'll work with them, right? We're not going to evict them on day three, sure. but it allows them to know that when they have to prioritize things, that rent is a priority for them. Do you do any section eight or is it all, a, you know? We had, we have one section eight, we had two section eights and one of them moved out and we opted not to make the house section eight again because the HOA was not having it. At least the, <laughs> the, the quality of tenant we had was not great and it was being a nuisance to the neighborhood. And so we thought, Hey, you know what? We're not going to go through that again. But the one that we do have, she's great. Um, she pays probably 
15% of our rent. Uh, the government pays the other uh, 85%. And it's been okay for us. And we can maximize the, the rent increases every year to the to legal amount. But uh, overall, yeah, we don't do Section 8. So how long did it take to build this portfolio of 56 properties? Yeah, so we started 2013. Okay. Uh, we're in the middle of 2020 now. And I would say for a while there, we were picking up, you know, the first year we only probably did three or four. And then we, once we got into the yellow letters, we started doing probably 10 a year. Uh, like I said, we've done over 80 deals. We just had to flip a couple of them. So, so you can see it's a seven-year period. And to this day, Dave and I have zero money into it, right? It's, that's I mean, great. That's incredible. So that's really... That's really, again, another testament to the power of this whole thing is you can, uh, you know, I don't want to say build, build, build something from nothing, but um, the key has been buying these properties at a discount. I That's always hear key. people yeah. saying, well, I'm going to do the Burr method and it's going to be awesome. But if you overpay or even pay market rate for a property, the Burr method probably won't work. And what you're doing, uh, very well. what you're doing that's accomplishing that for you is the direct mail that's working because you're getting right. these at such a discount. It allows you to do your rehab, your holding costs, your closing costs. You know, when you refi, you're getting all that taken care of and getting your money back. You know, our stuff, we, our refi. stuff we were buying from wholesalers. We, we tried the direct mailers, didn't have a lot of luck mm-hmm. and ended up finding wholesalers. They would bring us dip, discounted deals. We'd run our numbers. We're like, okay, we're going to be able to get all our money back here, but we're going to have to pay some closing costs. We would run the cash on cash. We're like, hey, we're okay with that. We love the area. We love the property. And so, you know, there's different ways of going about this. You guys have right. gone about it, finding off-market stuff that's deeply discounted using mailers, which is an excellent way to build this. And you've been able to do it with no money out of pocket, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've, we've actually bought from some wholesalers as well. And, you know, we have ones that know us that we can, that we're solid and we can close a deal at the end of an assignment period if they, if they get a little desperate, right? And so we have, I would say, probably 10% of our deals have come, come from wholesalers. Uh, the real key uh, to what you said earlier about, about the direct mail is, find, you know, is, is being able to, once you get your loan out uh, and get all your money back, that it's still cash flows. And that's what I, I see a lot of people do the Burr method. And then they refi, and then it, it doesn't cash flow so well. Yep. <laughs> so yep. that's uh, that's the risk with that method. You've got to you've got to start low enough on the on the scale that when you when you add all the R's to the end of it, it's still there's still a uh, there's still some room left. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So what what would you say? Like, how can this go sideways? How can how can you screw this up? You know, for somebody yeah, that's listening, ways. thinking like, hey, man, I want to do this. Well, for me personally, if we had a hurricane in Houston that destroyed everything, that would be sad. So, well, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. There's been some bad weather in Houston oh, yeah. over the last few years. Like, did that affect yeah, your Harvey, properties or, yeah? I will say this we don't have flood insurance on any of our properties because we don't. And here's why because we, we, another thing we look at when we buy properties is we look at the flood maps. And I will tell you that those flood maps were so accurate. In Harvey, they were so we had one house where next door the house is kind of iffy on the map, and sure enough, in Harvey, that next door neighbor flooded. They probably got six inches, uh, which is not as much as a lot of people got. But our house did not get anything, and so those flood maps were supremely accurate, and that just kind of supported my theory on why we don't need flood insurance. We had a couple of roof leaks, uh, you know, and stuff like that, but 
nothing, no major standing water in houses. And so if we can survive Harvey, where we got something like 30 inches of rain in three days, um, I think we can survive almost anything. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Knock on wood, but so far so good on, 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 on hurricanes because the flood maps are, are very accurate. <laughs> yeah. So, so two, two things I was thinking about, I wanted to ask you before I forget one, how much in reserves do you keep for these 56 properties? And then, um, let's see. Okay. Yeah. Let's go ahead and dive into that one. Then I'll ask the second one after you finish this. Okay. Let me, let me do some math right now. So right now in our bank account is probably, and it's low right now because of COVID and we have some turnovers. We probably have $140,000. So that's, what is that divided by? So that's, you know, not much, maybe three grand a property. So, um, nice, but you know, so, you know, once, once June comes around, we'll probably have to replace two or three ACs. I would imagine that's three grand a piece. Right. So, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's maybe not sound like a lot, but that's a level that we're comfortable with. Yeah. So no, that's, it's, a, I mean, it, 140 grand is a lot of money. I mean, when yeah. these things are, when your portfolio is cash, cash flowing $90,000 positive and you've got 140 sitting there, that's, that's significant capital. Yeah. Um, second question, you're managing these yourself. There's two of you, you've got nearly 60. Do you handle 30 and your partner handle 30 or how do you split that? Exactly. Up? Yeah. We split it up and then we split a couple other things. Like he does most of the books, like the rent, the rent coming in each month and who's late. Uh, I do a lot of the, 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 um, management of our contract going out and fixing places. So, uh, and then I do the property taxes at the end of the year. Uh, Dave does all the tax prep for the books for our accountant. Uh, we, we, we list them each kind of, uh, we take turns listing them as well so that we have to field the calls for the applicants. All of our Spanish tenants I handle cause I speak Spanish and Dave doesn't. So we kind of, we have a pretty good split on how we, how we split up the work. Very cool. And you guys have done this while keeping your day jobs, correct? Yes. Yes. Cool. So has, yeah. uh, how much has that played into you being able, you guys being able to do this? Like has having, uh, are you guys both, so, w, are you guys both W2? Are you self-employed? Or? We are. We're both W2. Okay. Luckily we're both people who can work from home like all the time. And so just taking the ability, the amount of, uh, commuting out or being stuck in an office, you know, at some, at some corporate facility, we have the ability to, uh, to be flexible, right? So if I need to drop everything and go visit a house cause it's on sale or something, right? I can. Uh, and so, but I'll tell you just not commuting every day, at least in a city the size of Houston, I mean, that saves me two hours a day oh, yeah, to go downtown. Sure. And so that two hours, if I use to, uh, you know, manage these houses, which it doesn't take, I would say on average, we probably spend five to seven hours a week. Yeah. Uh, that's great. This. So, I mean, you're it's looking at, lean. you're looking at say maybe it's an hour lean. a day. Yeah. It's pretty lean, uh, compared to what, you know, maybe a standard property manager would do, but it's a level of risk that we're comfortable with. There are houses and it's been okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. I like it, man. I love this. Yeah. I love this story. So, Let's transition over into maybe some uh, some books you'd recommend. Uh, you get any get any books you like on real estate investing or business? Yes. So one I love. Uh, I'm trying to remember the the author. Uh, it's called. Um, it just it just uh, slipped my mind. Is 
It's called the Slight Edge, and it's kind of a a, a um, what do you call it? A uh, self uh, the Slight Edge by uh, <laughs> self help. Yeah, it looks like uh, Jeff. Yeah, self help. Jeff Olson. Jeff yep. Olson. That's what it's called. Sorry, uh, I, I'm not. I'm losing my edge right now. Yeah, so Slight Edge, <laughs> and it basically says, you know, the, the if you could just improve by one percent or even a fraction of a one percent regularly over time, you will be hugely uh, improved, right? And and you don't really see those improvements over time because they're so small. And you can apply that to real estate, right? As we've just said, we've we've added a little bit over the last seven years and we have this significant portfolio now. Uh, you could do that in, you know, losing weight, uh, you know, in exercising, all of those principles. So I read that book about once a year just to kind of sharpen the sword on, uh, or the saw on self-help. <laughs> I love it. Another one I love is uh, Atomic Habits, if you've read that one. And that one is just about how to how to build actual habits and then and and linking them to other things that you're already doing so that you can build better habits and not be stuck in uh, you know being lazy or or doing things that you know are bad but you continue to do. So that's and that one's by uh, James Clear. It looks like yes, you got it. Atomic you Habits, it. yeah, that's a great cool. Book. Love the book recommendations. So what's the what's the one thing that you have to have one characteristic you have to have to be able to make progress in real estate investing? Ooh, that's a great question. I, uh, Oh man. Well, we'll call it tenacity, right? So like we, we haven't made a ton of mistakes. That's a tenacity and optimism. We're Dave and I are just supremely optimist. So we are always just, we know there's enough deals for everybody around. We're happy to share our knowledge with anybody we always dropping stuff on Instagram. We think anyone can do this if they just concentrate and focus, right? And it's a it's a people business, so you have to be good with people. Uh, at least if you're going to self manage or if you're going to negotiate these deals with people. But overall, I think just knowing that uh, you're optimistic about the uh, the outlook in life, you're optimistic about the economy, you're optimistic about uh, your real estate. You know that it's going to appreciate, or that it's going to, that your tenants are going to pay rent. I, I know so many people who want to get in real estate, but they're too scared because they're afraid their house is going to burn down, or they're afraid their tenant is going to, you know, change the motorcycle oil in the middle of the living room floor, you know, whatever it is, uh, and then they they just they're paralyzed. And so for us, it's just knowing that you can jump right in and be confident and optimistic that it's going to turn out, and that has been success. That is been, I, I think, our number one quality to, to help us get to where we're at today. Absolutely. So let me ask you another question. You guys have been able to take control of this portfolio with none of your own money. Let's, yeah. say this ha- let's say this hadn't gone as well as you had hoped, and you had been leaving, you've done this seven years, you've been leaving $50,000 of your money from your W-2 jobs in this portfolio you've built that's worth $8 million now. And so you're in, you, you guys have put 350000 in cash in, and you own a portfolio worth eight million, with probably thirty percent equity. We'll say two, you know, two million. Would it? Would you still do it if you could go back? If I had the money, yes, I think I would. Because in my mind, and in our post on selling them, kind of just drew the picture for me that the long term we have get to have a long term outlook on these things. This isn't fast money. This isn't you know get rich quick. Uh, the power of leverage, the power of interest, the power of of appreciation outweighs 
almost everything for me in this game. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we, we talk about this every day. If we should flip these, like these houses we paid 80,000 for, like you said at the beginning with your house that you sold, it's worth a hundred, they're worth 160 easy. Now, should we just sell it all and double our money? And we choose no, because we know that the cash flow is going to be better plus the appreciation later on. Yeah. And so I, to answer your question, we'd still do it. It wouldn't be as, it's pretty, but I think the end yeah. would still be worth it. Well, I mean, here's the way I look at it, right? If you had put 350000 in, you, you would have, I mean, based on if you had 30% equity, we'll, we'll say even 20% equity, 20% equity in $8 million, where you'd have $1.6 in in uh, equity. So right. my, minus your three hundred, you would have created $1.3 million of equity on top of the 350000 you put in. So you'd have one point six. So your money's not lost. And then, right. and, and and when this is paid off in 20 years, you're going to be probably at 3X of what you are right now. So you're going to have put in 350 grand and have $24 million in value, which is six, over 68 times your money. So every dollar right. you put in there, you're getting 68 times your money. Like good luck putting the money in the stock market and getting 68 times your money, like with, right. with every dollar, right? Like like you and, got- and, and I had that realization. This is before I knew about leverage or anything. I used to love the stock market, or at least play in it, because it seemed like a you know, it seemed glamorous. And I learned. I remember I bought one stock one day, and I don't remember what it was. But at the end of the day, after after the bell, there was a huge change. And I'm like, why can't I get in on that? And that's when I realized, at least as a retail investor, I did not have access to the information nor the platform to really get rich in the stock oh, yeah. market. Yeah. All the IPOs, and, they all, they, right. it's hard to get in on that stuff. You know, all, the stuff by the time it actually comes out on the market, all the guys that invested in it pre that point are the ones who are making so much, you know? Correct. And so with real estate, there was more control. I had access to the information and, you know, and then, and then I learned about leverage and it was just icing on the cake. I was like, wow, holy cow. Right. And so that is where I decided, okay, Outside of my 401k, nothing else is going in the stock market. Not that I'm anti-stock market. I just wanted to focus every last resource I had into real estate because I knew for me, it was better. Love it, man. Well, Chris, yeah. where can people find out more about you and connect with you? Yeah. So you check us out at thestealthyrich.com. We have a blog there where we blog every one of our deals that we've done with every stitch of information, financing, rehab costs, pictures, everything. Uh, and then if you want to just get normal bits of information, uh, finance, finance advice, and track our real estate as we go, we, we drop it on Instagram at The Stealthy Rich. Sweet, man. Well, hey, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Josiah. Have a great day. All right, man. See ya. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please connect with me on Instagram at Daily Real Estate Investor or via email at josiasmelser at gmail.com. My new book titled Dream It and Build It, How to Crush Your Real Estate Investing Goals is out. You can get it either in digital or physical format on Amazon. Once you've read the book, please leave me a review. Tune in next time for another episode of The Daily Real Estate Investor as we both join in our financial freedom journey.